34. And now, as I've said unto you before, as you've had so many witnesses, wherefore I beseech of you that you do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. For after this day of life, which is given us to prepare for eternity, behold, if we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness where there can be no labor performed. You cannot say when you're brought to that awful crisis that I will repent and I will return to my God. Nay, you cannot say this. For that same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time you go out of this life, the same spirit will have the power to possess your body in the eternal world. Okay, now, here's my question then. Uh, as you look at this, uh, where does repentance and the possibility of change occur in the spirit world. How much of an opportunity is there if this says, this is, this is the day of don't procrastinate your repentance, it's the same spirit that inhabits your body. How much chance is there to repent in the spirit world? Yeah? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. They're still kind of clinging to those kind of things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He said there is no repentance in the spirit world, and I'd really like to know what he meant by that. That there's no repentance in the spirit world. Wow. Well, I, heard, I hadn't heard that one. What is it for? If, if I mean, what that doesn't make sense to me. If we're baptizing people to to to. And do a baptism you know, for the dead. That what, it's worthless if there's uh, no repentance. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay. Thank you. Okay. Is what it means that the same spirit inhabits you as if when you were here you would have accepted the gospel, then you would there. And if you wouldn't have here, then you probably not uh, going to be there. No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I can look at it as like, okay, you're, you've got a kidney, doesn't you? Uh huh. So you're sorry. I'm sorry. Does it really mean that you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just that you can get what? So it's okay. <laughs> the it's, 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 you can't just go up and say, okay, I'm sorry, I did that. Uh, because you probably shouldn't have brought me to acknowledge it. Okay. I think that you cannot repent of things that are physical. Makes it harder. That are habits of this life. Patterns of behavior. You cannot do that if you don't have a physical body. Make it hard to stop smoking and still deal with things like that. There's a near death experience that describes a man who was able to fly around and visit places where he'd been in his youth. And he went to a bar and it was crowded with spirits still trying to get a drink. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, el- the elders of this dispensation, when they depart from the Lord, continue their labors in preaching of the gospel, repentance, and redemption through the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God among those who are in darkness and under the bondage of sin in the great world of the spirits of the dead. The dead who repent will be redeemed through obedience to the ordinances of the house of God. And after they have paid the penalty of their transgressions and are washed clean, 
Oh, yes. wow, okay. Yeah. Okay, that was 130. 138.57. Perfect. So wait a minute. So maybe there is some repentance that, that could go on. Ah, there's the question, isn't it? That has been bothering me for a long time. That's why we're bringing it up, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had a uh, I had a um, uh, BYU professor that used to say frequently, uh, "All men are created equal. It's just that more some people are more equal than others. Some have more, and what he meant by that is some have more free agency than others." And he would refer specifically to us, and he said, "How much free agency and knowledge of choices do you have?" Versus a kid growing up in Harlem this morning. How many, dis- how many options will he see that he has as he grows up versus how many options did you see that you had when you were growing up? You have more free agency than they do. Interesting point. Got it. Uh, I read a lot of books uh, in their church books. Uh-huh. Members of the, their family have died and come back. Yeah. Write these books. I learned a lot about that and reading that. And I know that uh, this one girl, uh, she was abused as a child and she harbored ill will towards her father uh, and he appeared to her and asked her please forgive him and he could not progress in the next life and I'm sure that Okay, so let's take this idea. Do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. You cannot be brought to that awful Christ and say, I'll return to my God. You cannot say this with the same spirit that possesses your body. Now, here's the question that I have. Because generally, when I I look at this, I look at the day of probation from the day that we enter mortality actually through the resurrection. So how much, how much repentance can go on in the spirit world? Well, I've come to know how many of us, um, and, and it's just kind of the nature, I guess, of what I do in my counseling. I see so many people whose, uh, what they, how they saw themselves, how they viewed themselves, what they thought their choices were, was, was uh, limited to them almost from the day they were born. I see them being abused at five or six. I see them born into families where alcoholism is in its second and third generations. I see people that have genetic traits. I think uh, we're going to find that uh, some of those that struggle with same-sex attraction, there are genetic factors that impact on that from the day they're born. Okay, so so I don't. I, I what I don't understand, I guess, is how limiting our physical body is in this life. Or our circumstances are in this life. Now get us, and, and President Packer was actually pretty clear on this one, about talking about you will be surprised that you, you lay down your physical body. We place you in a place where, with increased love and intelligence and light. And that people will see things more there than they did here. So elders, let me ask you. You're, you may be knocking doors... And you're knocking along, and, and you knock on the door of a lady, and she is right in the middle of fixing dinner. And her kids are screaming, and one of the kids has a dirty diaper, and she comes to the door, and she goes, not interested. <clears throat> Was that her chance in this life? No. She rejected the elders, right? You were there, you had salvation. You were trying to give them salvation, and she turned you down. 
Did she really? It's like, it's like a roll bubble here. Oh, yeah. No, that, that wasn't a, that wasn't an equal chance for her, was it? It's a good thing we're not the judge. It's it's a great thing that we're not the judge because in the end, how how are we going to know? Well, it's by by their hearts, right? So when we talk about the same spirit that doth possess your bodies, I don't know what spirit possesses your bodies. <laughs> because I know how limited your bodies can be. Okay? Now, how much... Not, now, we say, well, wait a minute, because we're going to talk about the uh, ten virgins in just a second, which is really, and it's most specific, it's about Latter-day Saints. Well, we know, don't we? Don't we sit in classes? Don't we sit in sacrament meetings? Haven't we raised our kids in the church? Didn't we give them the morality talk and we did the values lessons and we did all that stuff? They should know, right? How many, kid, how many kids, how many people have been in the church but never really been in the church? They, they were never really here. They sat here socially, but they never, it never soaked in. It was ne- the gospel was never written on their hearts. There's the question. And, I, and so we have to look at it and say, how much knowledge and understanding do we really have? Okay? Alright. Well, that said then, keep this in mind then as we're taking a look at today's. Present item. Complacency is a danger for us all. It can come to naive youth who feel that there will be that there will be plenty of time in the future for spiritual things. They might think that they've already done enough considering the brief time that they've lived. Nobody is smarter than a 17-year-old, right? 13. Yeah. Well, as a 13-year-old, adults are just basically stupid. You don't know what they're talking about. You can't even figure out how to... Run my iPod. So. Is that like the bumper sticker that says, hire a teenager while they still know everything? <laughs> yes, it is. But complacency can also be, but the church is limiting. The church tells me what I can't do. The church tells me what I can wear and what I can do on weekends and all those kind of things. And I've got plenty of time to, you know, do all that boring stuff. I just want to have fun. My friends seem to be having fun. So, but the fact that we're not teenagers helps, right? Most of them. Okay? Complacency can affect even the seasoned adult. Oh, dang. The better and longer you serve, the more likely that the tempter can place this light in your mind. You have earned a rest. Ouch. You may have been the primary president in your little branch twice. Or you've worked hard and long on your mission and sacrificed so much to serve. I deserve a break. Dang it. Do we get to that point where we say, all right, I've done enough. Let, let, me, let me cruise for a while. I made high priest. I made high priest, it's time to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there is this there is these stretches we go through where we just kind of cruise. I've gone on my mission. I'm going home. Not that somebody's going home. Okay, maybe like tomorrow. And it's like, now I've served. Now I can take a break. I keep running into uh, 
uh, return missionaries that, that work long and hard on their mission, they get home and they just kind of go... It, yeah, it's just time to... I've worked really hard. Now I think I'll just cruise for a while. Okay? Maybe. Even in Las Vegas. Yeah, gotcha. Maybe they haven't learned how to take little breaks along the way so they're completely burned out. And oh. So it's good to balance that. Okay. That, that maybe we haven't had enough of a balancing thing that we've thrown ourselves so much into it? Mm-hmm. Could be. I think that happens. Okay? Yeah? Uh, we know one that service mission on early came home. He said, well, I've served my mission and I know how to convert my friends. They took him out of Wow. So he went out to, serve, to convert his friends and they converted him. Okay. So... With that as a backdrop, then, I want to I want to f- uh, finish the semester by looking at Matthew twenty five. Okay, uh, Matthew twenty five has some interesting questions that it raises for us. Near the end of the chapter, it says, "When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then she, He shall sit on His throne of His glory." And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth sheep from the goats, the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. Well, that's an interesting distinction. Now, my question is, why do sheep and goats need to be separated in the first place? What, what would be the big deal about separating sheep and goats. Maybe they don't like each other. <laughs> they may not. Like, yeah. Right? And goats? They eat everything. They will eat anything and everything. So, so we got to separate the sheep and the goats so the sheep have something left to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but are we supposed to be sheep? Isn't that the battle? So okay, so is it we're going to separate the smart from the dumb? Why are we separating sheep and goats? Well, goats will go places that sheep can't go, so maybe they will. If the sheep follow, the goats start going into areas that hurt the sheep. So again, it's the smart and the dumb. Though. It's like the, 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 the capable and the incapable. Yeah, mostly. I think I think that's a good point. Goats tend to want to do that, right? You tell them they can't do that, and then it's their job to do exactly that, right? You climb trees. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, so the I mean, so the question here is. <laughs> I mean, sheep's or sheep's or goats. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, kind of 
They can? Yeah. They oh, that's can. dangerous. And, and they can make. And their offspring is uh, messed and, up. Cannot Right. That would be a geep. They call the geep. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Now, so 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 you, but we still haven't got. Okay. Why why is he going to need to separate these two then? And we seem to be giving a lot of credit to the goats. Got to keep them away from the dumb sheep. Which is one of those things that when people leave the church, they are so, one of the reasons they leave is they don't want to be a sheep. It isn't like they're saying, well, I'm going to leave the dumb goats behind. They're like, I just don't want to be a sheeple. Half sheep, half people. Now, luckily though for us, the Lord is going to tell us exactly what He means of uh, the difference between sheep and goats. So let's let's go over uh, to let's look at thirty-one. He'll come in His glory. Thirty-two. He shall be gathered all nations and separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goat, and He shall set the sheep on His right hand. The sheep get the right hand, and the goats get the left hand. Okay, these ones that are supposedly dumb and and not and all that. Okay, and then look at this: the father shall say unto them, the sheep. And by the way, that notice who is who he's gathering, who he's calling sheep and goats. He's not just saying people; he's going to gather who in verse thirty-two, nations. nations. So he's talking about not just people, but Sheep nations and goat nations are groups of people. Okay, he's going to say, "Be gathered of all them." He's going to he's going to put the sheep on the right, goats on the left, and the king shall say, "On the right hand, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world." Wow. Okay. What now? Look at the next verse. What exactly was it that the sheep did that the goats? weren't doing in the Savior's analogy. For I was and hungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, ye clothed me. I was sick, he visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. What were the sheep doing that the goats weren't? Serving. Serving. And, and now, here is the, to me the most beautiful line in this whole thing is the next one. And, and, and it, it, it just says the state of who they are and it explains the state of their heart. Then the righteous answered him saying, Lord, when? In other words, what were they doing? They're, they're feeding the hungry. And, and by the way, it gets progressively more. It's like, well, I was hungry. I could give somebody meat. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. I was even in prison and you visited me. You came to those that had done the wrong things. 
and you came and visited me. And the Lord says uh, to them, um, you did this. And they go, when? Why, were they, why are they saying when? Why didn't they realize it? It was just part of who they were. It was, they were just doing what they do. Not for glory, not for blessings, not to be seen of men. They're just doing what they do naturally. We, we didn't know we were helping you. We were just visiting the sick. We were just visiting them in prison. We're just doing what we're doing. And he says exactly. And not only that, uh, Lord, when we saw thee hungered and fed thee or thirsty, when did we see all these? And the Lord says, As much as you've done it unto one of the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And they didn't even know they were doing it to him. That's, that's the beautiful part about these guys. Now, is that sheep behavior? Why, why would he call that sheepness? Sheep are dumb. Sheep are easily led. Sheep are, you know. Well, we're following the Savior even if we maybe didn't realize it. And they really were. They were doing the same things that he would do. He did all of these things. But they did it just easily, without kicking back, without pushing back. They just did it because that's what they do. Sheep are more easily led. Yeah. I don't think you can take a group of goats and have a shepherd say, come follow me, and they just follow. <laughs> you need a stick and a rope and possibly some food and, and punishment along the way and at least you know guard dogs that are nipping at their feet and making sure that they get where they're supposed to be because they're just stubborn as heck. Yeah. My son raises enough sheep for his grandchildren. And... They play with them. They feed them from the time that they're very tiny. And they follow them around. And they're very loyal to them. They are loyal. And he and, and they, they act like dogs. They'll be out and you call them, come, and they'll come running to them. And they'll nuzzle with them. They're very, very loving. They are. When we were in Germany. Uh, the shepherds didn't uh, raise a sheet on part of the land. So, so that's why it, it's fascinating that the Lord would use this analogy and these animals to teach this principle. 
Because you've heard this, this statement all, all your life, right? About when visited means... But you didn't see it as sheep and goats. You just saw it as this is what we're supposed to do. It's the sheep that are doing this because they're just naturally doing what they do. There's, no, there's not stubbornness there. They're just doing it. That's why the, the fact that they're blind to it is fascinating to me. Because on the other side... Then he's going to say to the others, then he'll say to those, the goats on the left, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, for I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink, you didn't do any of that stuff. And then they said, um, wait a minute, when did we see you hungered and a thirst or stranger? And a, now, by the way, look at verse 44, because there's probably another line that goes there, there's one more phrase. And he says, they're going to say, well, when did we see you hungered and thirst and stranger and naked and sick and did, did not minister unto thee? And by the way, if we knew it was you, we would have done it. Really, we would have. As a, you know, if we're going to end up in hellfire, if we had known it was you, we would have done it. And he says, the difference is, you you weren't doing it, and if you did do it because you thought it was me, then you were doing it for all the wrong reasons. That's why you're goats. You're pushing against this. It, it's not coming naturally to you. Your natural tendency is to be stubborn and pathetic. Well, but, okay. He says that the, the sheep really didn't know they were doing that, but we're told all the time when we, we get taught that when we do something for someone else, it's doing it for Christ. Right. Right. But, but the thing I love, though, about these sheep is I just say, we recognize that because we understand this, that we're doing it for Christ. But isn't it interesting, especially ladies, as, as guys, we tend to be more goats, more goat-like. As women, you, you have this natural tendency to go, I'll just serve. If I see something, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do or because they're hurting. I'm just going to reach out and do this. And as, as guys, we go, better make an assignment for me and then I'll go get it done. Oh, no. To do what's right Absolutely. Because that's just part of us. I mean, it's... Our natural man pushes against this, but you get the, you're right. You get this, this calming, uh, noble, noblifying, if that's a word, effect of the gospel in our life, and it moves us in that direction, even if we're not necessarily looking for brownie points while we're doing it. Just to do it naturally. It, it, it's like it, it just takes a lifetime in the gospel to slowly change our natures <clears throat> to where we do these things naturally. I mean, we shouldn't have to assign home teachers and visiting teachers, should we? Should I mean, should we just see people in the ward and we just naturally want to go reach? But we struggle with that. And I think that's why those assignments are given. Okay? All right. So that's it. So now let's go back to... And, and the last part of this, and then we will go eat. Um, 
Oh, the, the, let me ask one last question before we leave this. I like this. Okay. So when do we know that we're sheep thinking and when do we know we're goat thinking? <laughs> when are we thinking like sheep and when are we thinking like goats? In this case, get, taking the easy way out may be no, serving. Okay, how do you know the difference? Yeah, in the, here and here. When we, when we put limits on what we're willing to do, when we say, I'll do this if this happens, or when this happens, or I'll only go if you know, we put Ah, that would be very goat-like, wouldn't it? When it just say, you know. I, I'll go in, I'm going to sit down with the bishop, and I'm going to say, okay, I'm willing to serve... Here's my list of wills, and here's my list of won'ts. I'll go where you want me to go as long as it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Goats tend to be pretty willful that way, don't they? If you say to a goat, don't go up there, they're going to go up there. So that's why if we're going to then allow ourselves to be limited in doing, following the Savior and sacrifice some other things, that's, that's sheep-like. I think when the Spirit testifies to us each moment that we are serving or giving or doing what we can, as the Spirit testifies to us that that's right and good, then we can know that we're sheep-thinking. I like that. I like that. Okay. I'm sorry, I know, but I actually said that. It's my, my, Jenny's pet peeve. The concept of obedience being a limiting factor. Yes. A sheep would be obedient. And doesn't see it as limiting, right? The wouldn't see the obedience as limiting. Because often when we speak to the youth, we always go, be obedient to what you know, if you're not addicted and all this. But we fail to mention that if you are obedient to reading your scriptures, you understand what you believe in. That that's limiting, that that's controlling, that that's yeah, telling me what I can't do. Great. Perfect. That's interesting. That that sheep have have produced fruit. Now we may get goat milk or some goat cheese or something like that, but think about how much... I hadn't thought of that part. That's cool. All right. Yeah. One, one more thing. I looked at the, I looked at the term of uh, getting someone's goat. Oh, yes. I, I mean, we've always... All for that, I think, that really got my goat, you know, kind of thing. It, it said, uh, getting someone's goat cannot be by a quick process. It must be done by not being directly mean. The best way to get someone's goat is by means of clever annoyance. And I think uh, I think about like we'll draw their goat out of them. Yeah, I think about the adversary, and uh, he is very clever at uh, getting our goat, or maybe turning us into goats by getting our goat, drawing our goat out of us, whatever. But uh, I just thought that was really interesting. That that's a derogatory term. Is you know they really I like that. Goat. 
Okay. Yes, sir. Think that that yes, I'd take that. Good, good point. Okay, last one. Matthew twenty-five. Let's go to the parable of the ten virgins, or what uh, Neil Maxwell used to call the terrible math. In, in speaking of members, okay. Now, this actually comes, one of the reasons why I wanted to finish with this, it comes on the heels of what we were talking about last week with Matthew 24. Talking about when will these signs be, when is the second coming coming, he's going to go all through all of this, and then he's going to go specifically, uh, this is the next, this is part of the same talk. Then, meaning after all these, as the, those signs are showing up, and the fig leaves are showing, and it, here it comes. He says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, their little lamps, like this one, supposed to be an exact replica, um, little lamps with, with you got just enough to put the oil in there and a little wick out the, the top there, okay? And handheld, okay? So, so they're hanging out here. Now, I want you to notice something different. Um, because you know this story. What is the difference between the wise and the foolish? What do the wise have that the foolish do not have? They've all got oil. They've all got lamps. Okay, hold on. That's part of it, but physically. What do the wise have that the foolish do not have? Spare oil. Look at, look at what it's going to say. The five of them that are wise, five are foolish. They that are foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. They had oil in their lamps. They did. Because they're going to say, when, when the bridegroom comes, verse 8, our lamps, and the Greek word in verse 8, for our lamps are going out. They had oil in their lamps, as did the wise. Um, though, verse 3, those that are foolish took their lamps, took no oil with them other than what they had in their lamp. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. What was it that the wise had that the foolish did not have? Extra oil. They, they carried an extra vessel filled with oil, an extra reservoir of oil that they could draw on. They all had lamps. They all had oil. They all, when the bridegroom comes, they all begin to trim it, scraping off the extra stuff, preparing it so that they would have the most light possible. But, when, 
uh, verse 4, the wives have got their vessels, so they're ready just in case. Now, verse 5 says they all slumbered and they all slept. Do we know when the bridegroom is coming? No. And, and we've, we've heard this before, and I'm not going to belabor the fact that on these, uh, on these weddings, the bridegroom is going to go from house to house to house to house, and it's like a building entourage, and they're partying, they're celebrating everything. They don't know when they're going to get to the wedding feast. That's when they get there. There's no set schedule. They're just going from buddy to buddy to buddy to buddy, and it's like a snowball rolling downhill. And more friends and more friends and more friends. They don't know. So those that are waiting to manage the, the dinner, those that are going to have light at the dinner, don't know. So all they're going to do is just kind of be there and slumber and be ready. Then it turns out at midnight, a cry is made, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out, all the virgins arose, trim their lamps, all ten trim their lamps. And the wise went, or the foolish went, wait a minute, our lamps are going out. Okay? What then are the wise doing that the foolish are unable to do? Refilling. And in fact, probably all along the way have been refilling the lamp from their vessels all along. So they keep it lit. Now they have enough left that then when they go into the party, if the thing goes out, they'll still have those vessels. They can keep them lit. Because they're small lamps. There's only so much oil you can maintain in these things. You've got to have a separate vessel. I don't know. Put it in the fire. Oh, yeah, the wick. You're going to have to find a way to light the wick. Because the wick comes out. There's a little thing that sticks out. When it goes out, how do you relight more wick. Put more wick. No. I got I was thinking that they would probably have to have some kind of flint or something like that to, to strike that. Okay. All right. So now, from a spiritual sense, then, because sometimes we've looked at this and we go, "Well, wait a minute, that's not fair." Uh, the wise saying, "Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you." Uh, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourself. Now it's a little tougher at midnight to go find people that sell oil. But they're able to go. And by the way, they do. Do they find oil? Yeah, they do. They, they come back. They come to the party late. By then the, the door is shut. It's become everlastingly too late for them. But, but in the gospel sense then, what is it that the wise have that the foolish do not have? All of those kind of things. And all of those things, that, that service that we do, and those and, and attending the temple and all that kind of stuff, what is that creating us? A reservoir. A reservoir. An additional reservoir. So, the, so that's why it is sometimes I worry about those that struggle in the church or sometimes those that are caught by surprise by people attacking the church or additional stuff about our history or whatever... I always tend to look at those and go, their, their light is pretty good in the daytime under normal conditions. But what happens when the Savior delays? What happens when the bridegroom is not there yet? And it's later, and it's later, and it's later. Those are those moments we have to then reach, dig down deep into our reservoir to draw on additional spiritual strength, spiritual knowledge, understanding. You're fine now. What happens when somebody offends you? 
What happens when you're placed in a particularly difficult calling? Do you have a reservoir of strength on which to draw? Great question. What was the purpose for the virgins? Now, by the way, what I don't know, I was actually thinking as I was driving over here, I'm not sure why virgins. I'm sure there is a reason for that. Innocence. Okay. Is that maybe innocence? Yeah, maybe more sheep-like. Good point. Could they be the brides? They're not the bride. That's a good question because the, the, the bride is already in there. Although they are part of that, because if, the, if this is all us, aren't we part of the bride? But what's our job at the feast? Light. That's to hold out the light. Yeah. Yeah, they're pure. So it's purity, it's innocence. I like all those. That it would take those to be there at the, at the feast providing light. To everybody else, themselves as well, right? But to do that, we have to draw on a reservoir. Now, I would like to think that part, one of the reasons why um, we have been doing what we've been doing for this last year, that we take all the way back to the week after Labor Day last, last fall. A number of you have been here all along. What are you doing? Restocking the reservoir. Drop by drop by drop. Then you serve, and then you serve in your callings, and then you pray, and then painful things come into your life, and you struggle with that. And it's that moment when you decide, do I have a reservoir to reach into? Where's my reservoir of faith? Where's my reservoir of trust? Where's my reservoir of testimony? Where's my reservoir of belief? Can I reach into that? Or am I staggered when things come along to, and the bridegroom, bridegroom's taking longer than I thought? To get here. I just had a thought that that would be the reason they could not share their oil with the other virgins because you can't share that. Those are things that are unshareable. As much as you might love someone, how many, you ever had the experience of trying to share some of that reservoir with someone? Oh, how frustrating is that? When they're struggling in the church or struggling with their testimony, and you're trying to say, but he's real, and this is the true gospel, and the Book of Mormon is true, and they just, they're unshareable. They're goats. At that moment, they don't want to accept it from anybody else, and you're trying to share. So you, even if, they, if you wanted to share, you can't share it. How tough is that? I had an experience one time. We went camping as a family, and we took my sister, my youngest sister, that's quite a bit younger than me. We took her with us on vacation, me and my husband and my daughter. And we went camping, and it was so dark. It was so dark. You put your hand out. You cannot see. And we went to try and find the restroom, and we only had one flashlight, me and my sister. And we're trying to share this flashlight, and we couldn't. She had to hold my hand because if we were separated, she wouldn't have been able to see, or I wouldn't have been able to see if she had the flashlight. We couldn't share the flashlight without me holding her hand and directing her wow. where she has to go. And I... It was such. It left such an impression on me about this parable, about how this is something that we can't share. It's not that we don't 
want everyone to have it, but it's actually not shareable. It's not possible for us to share it. So everyone has to have their own. And at those moments, there's no way to share it. There is just no way to share it. Yes, sir. The situation we talk about uh, how some are able to do so much more than others. In my observation of today's membership in the church, when an individual is baptized and confirmed, there's one phrase that goes, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And I really would offer that probably far more than 50% of the members of the church have no concept as to what is really mm. being said yeah. at the time receive ye the Holy Ghost is pronounced. Because we then, at that point, have a responsibility of getting ourselves mentally, physically, socially, morally, completely immersed in the gospel and being worthy for the Holy Ghost to administer to us. And I'm really, thoughtfully, really honestly believe that there's far less than 50% of the church who have ever been administered to by the Holy Ghost. I think that's true. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. The, the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you think about it literally in this context, is the creating of a reservoir. It's the creating of a space. Uh, C.S. Lewis used to talk a lot about the fact that God has to create a pocket to put things in, in our soul. Now, it's up to us to fill that. And to fill that in our daily activities, our, our obedience to the commandments is the filling of that vessel. So that at times when we need to, we can reach into that reservoir and draw on it. If we're not going to fill it, it just sits empty and just kind of withers. Okay? So, uh, l l let me just kind of finish with this and then, then we will be done. I, I really believe that the understanding that we gain through the scriptures is the filling of our vessels. It is the filling of our vessels when we look at last week and there is scary things coming in terms of the second coming and we're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and yep the, the fig leaves are out and we can see the signs and it's going to get kind of scary. I think the deeper our, our vessels is that holds our reservoir of oil enables us to focus on Adam on Diamond, not Armageddon. It lets us know be not afraid. I've got you and there will be a, a path made for you. Yeah. And we're going to need that. And that's, that's what we've been doing this last year. Hopefully, part of our discussions together has been part of kind of filling our vessel a little bit more so that it's there to draw on should we need it. Um, I bury my testimony. The things we've discussed are true. Um, I'm looking forward. We're going to take a break for the summer, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into it uh, and then kind of going back to restocking our vessels. And I leave that with you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful to thee 
for the blessings that we have living in a country that is free to worship as we see fit, for the opportunity that we have to come to these institute classes. And we give thanks from the bottom of our hearts to Brother Hinckley for his sweet spirit, for his knowledge, for his love and understanding for the gospel, and for his presentation that makes it possible for us to understand and realize the things that we need to do in our lives to be prepared to meet thee. We pray that thy spirit will be with each of us as we go about our various activities this summer, that we might be filled with thy spirit, with the Holy Ghost, to lead and guide us, that we will not go astray, that we might continue day by day serving others and still studying and learning that we might be in tune with thee, that we might know the things that we need to do as members of the church. We're grateful for the friendships that we have, for the opportunity that we have to be with each other. As we prepare, Father in heaven, to go and eat, we give thanks for this food and for all the blessings that are ours. We pray that thou will bless the food that it might nourish and strengthen our bodies, that we might have the strength to live and keep the commandments and to be of service to all that we come in contact with and to help those that are in need of help. We love thee, Father in heaven, and are so grateful for the love that thou shares with us, for the guidance, for thy spirit that dwells with us, and pray humbly that it might do so until we meet again humbly. In the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.